Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. You know, as a longtime California resident, what did I do? I said, this is a hot mess. I'm out of here. You know, I, I, I wish I could have gone in and fixed it, but that wasn't my role to play. So I picked up and I left California and I'm not the only one. I, I know dozens of incredibly successful entrepreneurs that have left because we just feel like it's being run poorly. They don't care about our businesses. And in the end, they're just going to add egregious taxes to deal with the fact that they didn't fight that war to begin with. That was Eric Lochtefeldt, a hugely successful businessman, telling me why he recently packed up and left California amidst the squeeze and pressures of COVID-19 lockdowns. On the threshold of becoming a billionaire, Eric's life has turned another corner. He now owns and operates from a piece of paradise in Hawaii. It's called Bliss Island, a five-star luxury retreat, where he is teaching some of the world's wealthiest entrepreneurs and accomplished artists how to reinvent themselves and find a new purpose a deeper meaning in our lives like Eric's. Joy is when you give your gift to another. It's it's when you see somebody else like shine. And so I experience joy on a regular basis seeing my customers rise up and get aligned with their purpose and what they really want to do with their life. And I'm trying to get them to Bliss Island. I want them to burn the boats. And what that means is they've now learned the hero's journey. The same thing Paulo Coelho taught and made it one of the top 10 selling books of all time. And what we're teaching today, what Joseph Campbell tried to teach over his lifetime, it's all the same stuff said in different ways. So few people do it. Eric Lochtefeld is the co-author of The Purpose Code. He is an investor, realtor, and a pioneer in the concert industry. Yeah, so we have some special things. First, I'll mention that we have, I believe, the best chef on the island. I recruited him from Kauai. He was a private chef for the uber, uber wealthy, and I convinced him that this would be a wonderful experience for him. So he cooks you three meals a day. So it's important to note that we're we're eating organic food, you know, all locally grown, and he's literally a Michelin-rated chef. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Eric Lochtefeld has a lot to tell us during my interview coming up with him from the sometimes awful loneliness and isolation of the rich and their social and political challenges to the plague of COVID-19. Yeah, so I, I put direct blame, you know, if you want to play the blame game on individuals that had it tough. And that was the politicians. Well, hell no, it would be my answer to that. When you get to be a billionaire, chances are you've entered what I would call a monster space. It doesn't mean you're actually a monster. It's that you're viewed by others as a monster. You're either a monster because you're not giving them money or you're a monster because they don't agree with your business's success or whatever it is they perceive that you're taking from them and your relationships start to disappear. So it becomes a very, very lonely play. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Sure, look, it's grand to have you back. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We have a lot to talk about on this show with a very successful and a very rich man, Eric Lachtefeld, who is a member of the 1% across the globe. And I don't want anybody listening to get jealous if you're not quite there yet yourself. Eric is a rich man who comes with a unique twist. He says he has found his purpose in life. And he has found his sweet and happy spot. Eric, tell us what all this is about. I know we will get to talk about your group in a moment. And this group is an important part of your journey in your career and in your personal happiness. So you say, can we start at the beginning? Who is Eric Lachtefeld? Is yours a rags to riches story? And what happened along the way? Yeah, I don't think I can claim a rags to riches story, but I can claim a self-made story for sure. So I had great schooling, uh, went to a wonderful university. So for me to say rags to riches, I'd have to say, you know, maybe I had a different uh, upbringing. But once I left college, uh, I aligned with my purpose and that was to be inspired. And so I've known that since I was a child, that that's what actually gets my motor running. And so I went straight into an event industry, which I feel like is a huge passion of mine and a talent of mine. And I'm the type of entrepreneur that likes to go fast. So I tend to pick things that I'm pretty skilled at and that I can become an expert at very quickly. And so I, right out of college, started doing event production within just a couple of years I had teamed up with Creative Artists Agency, one of the biggest agencies in the world in the entertainment industry, to create what would become the Vans Warped Tour, uh, which has a 25-year legacy now, all these years later. Uh, but I was just a young kid at that time, and that one business really launched my career. And so I, over the, the life of my career, I've, I've started over 25 companies I currently have about 23 businesses right now. Some of them are just investment vehicles. Seven or eight of them I'm fully operating. Almost all of them are in the event industry or they touch the event industry. Even my real estate companies touch events, uh, meaning I own buildings that have concert venues and things like that, right? Uh, But ultimately, why we're having this conversation today is about four years ago, after a very long run as an entrepreneur... I finally moved into my kind of, I don't know what we'll call it. Let's say that dream property that you say, oh, someday, right? And I move into this beautiful wine estate. It's a mansion in Silicon Valley. And it's a really hot day. It was about 95 degrees and I'm I'm sweating bullets. You know, moving is no fun, uh, no matter how much help you have. And I collapsed. And my wife was really worried about me. And she rushed me to the hospital And I'm in the hospital, I'm getting a battery test done. I don't know what the heck's wrong with me. And the doctor comes in and says, you know, we discovered something. Your blood sugar for the last three months has been hovering at 650. 
well, just so you know, healthy blood sugar should be 77 to 99. So I was six times what it should be to be healthy. Pre-diabetic is 150. So I was at 650. And it was made clear to me that if I didn't come in that day, I probably would have dropped dead of a stroke or a heart attack within days. And that woke me up. It made me very quickly realize that what I needed was to go back in and evaluate my purpose and possibly give it an upgrade. Because I knew I was living on purpose all these years, but I think over the the seven prior years, I had lost touch with it. And I really needed to get to a place where I better understood myself and my desires at this age in life. And then, of course, I had that moment in that hospital to realize what had been left undone. And that was the moment where I wasn't thinking about many different things across the board. I was just thinking about one thing, and that was I didn't finish the job. And what I consider to be the job is to help people like you described earlier to take them into that 1%, not just about money, but the 1% of, hey, with this life, can you astound yourself? That's what I want to help people do. Can you astound yourself? So I call that getting to Bliss Island, but learning how to get to Bliss Island on your own once you've been taught and then burn the boats, right? So that's really what I'm all about. It's what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to because when I was in that hospital, I said to myself, well, gosh, if this were the end, who would be at my funeral? And I said, oh, there'd probably be about a thousand people. I felt pretty good about that you know, number. And, and I said, but they would all be saying the same thing. Like, yeah, he was a great entrepreneur and he was really inspirational. But then hopefully I'd be ascending to heaven. I'd be looking down going, yeah, but did you do the thing I inspired you to do? Did you do your dream? I know I did mine. So that was my regret. And so I'm back full force. It's why I started my company, Bliss Champions. It's why I bought a piece of an island in Hawaii to literally run retreats at, to help people get there, you know, to help them discover their dreams and to go for it. And so uh, that's what I'm all about these days. You are well on the way in your career when that event occurred and you're in hospital. You're a multimillionaire. You are on the way, it sounds to me, of becoming a billionaire, but you took that pause. You have said you had love in your life, wealth and prestige and success, but no real joy, no deeper meaning. What did you mean by that? Sure. So there was a point in my life at age 40 where I had sold a company after the last major recession. And I loved that company. I loved my employees but I had lost my passion for the business and I sold it to my employees. They kind of fought over it and started eating them alive. It was a real kind of a traumatic experience for me. And for a moment there, and this was uh, nine years ago, I said to myself, no more employees. I'm just going to, I'm going to flex my entrepreneurial muscles and I'm just going to go for it. And I was just kind of hurt on how they treated each other because literally I was asked to be the wedding officiant in three three of my employees' weddings. We had 52 employees. And so I really, I I just needed a break, you know, knowing that I I treated everybody the right way and then they didn't do that to each other was pretty painful to me. And so I did this seven-year run as an entrepreneur where I just flexed my muscles and I found this underdeveloped city in Silicon Valley. And I just went on a run. I, I went on a run from two, three million in net worth to 50 million in net worth. But on the last part of that run in that seven years, I got into development, 
Now, development is kind of like being a politician. The second you enter into a zero-sum game industry, like being a politician or like being a developer, you instantly have enemies. You have 50% who do not want you to build that building. You know, they're anti-growth. They don't want change to happen. And then the other 50%, if you're lucky, are like, no, we that's exactly what we need, right? So you find yourself in this interesting situation where you got to kind of pick a team. And then if you're an ultra competitive guy like me and you're a competent business person, it's all about winning all of a sudden. And so I found myself after a lifetime of being in win-win industries aligned with my purpose, I was all of a sudden on a team that quite frankly, building a building, for instance, was not aligned with my purpose per se, but it definitely was extremely lucrative and what we thought the city needed at that time. And so what happens when you go that route, you start to play in a game, like I said, that's zero sum, meaning someone has to win and someone has to lose. Well, that creates enemies on the other side. And those enemies don't often play fair. If they can't beat you and win, then they'll go at you personally. And that was when I started to enter this area of asking myself like, boy, is it worth it? Is this what happens to people as they get wealthier and wealthier? And there could be people at home saying, oh, poor you. I'm not asking for that. What I'm saying is I got to about 50 million and said, you know what? It isn't worth it. I'd say 75% of the people in my life now see me as a checkbook, right? And I've heard every approach to ask me for money. And at the end of the day, sometimes I give it sometimes, but at the end to feel that way is, is, and to see it when it happens, it's painful because the second somebody asks you for money, only three things are going to happen. One, you're going to give it to them and they're going to be elated, but we can talk about the results of enabling people at another time. The second thing that could happen is you, you decide to say no. And the second you say no, you've either lost a friend or someone becomes too embarrassed to be your friend. And I hate to say it, but that's how it, it goes. So when you all of a sudden have both those things in your life, when you have enemies due to the industry you're now in because someone has to lose and you're winning, and then the second piece, so many people seeing you as a person that has money and they'd like to have some, and the strain that puts on relationships, it becomes a pretty lonely place. And I started to analyze some of the billionaires out there and I found it to be far, far worse. Like what it takes to get to that point and the sacrifices that you have to make, you become unrelatable to almost everybody in your life, right? So again, oh me, you also become super comfortable. All of a sudden you have the best cars, you're flying on a jet, you can take any vacation in the world. So obviously just like being a celebrity, there's great things that come with that. I would say comfort being the number one. But the loss of relationships and relationships turning into an unhealthy situation, I just decided it wasn't worth it. I didn't experience almost any joy in that climb from two to three million to 50 million in a seven year run. Did I feel accomplished? Sure. Was I impressed or was I astounded with my, my efforts and results? Sure. The, all that was there. But in the end, it wasn't worth it to me. So when I collapsed and almost died, you know, I gained 80 pounds in that run. I went from 230 pounds to 310 pounds. So no surprise, I acquired diabetes and other health issues. So I just said right there in the hospital, like, look, 
I'm going to go back to why I was put on this earth. I'm going to give my purpose an upgrade. My purpose was to be inspired. The upgrade that I gave it, why do I want to be inspired? I want to be inspired to transform in the direction of my bliss. And then I also want to turn that over and I want to align that with my greatest gift. So my gift is to give people, to help people be inspired to transform in the direction of their bliss. So I'm shedding companies, I'm selling businesses, I'm getting rid of real estate, and I'm entirely focused on delivering this the rest of my life. I even bought an island, so to speak. Uh, It's a piece of Hawaii to deliver exactly that. And that's where I'm calling from right now is from Bliss Island in Hawaii. We'll talk about that in, in a moment. Can we talk generally about the world's fabulously wealthy or rich people? Are they all happy, fulfilled, or how does that shake out? Well, hell no, it would be my answer to that. And like I said, when you get to be a billionaire, chances are you've entered what I would call a monster space. It doesn't mean you're actually a monster. It's that you're viewed by others as a monster. You're either a monster because you're not giving them money or you're a monster because they don't agree with your business's success or whatever it is you're take- they perceive that you're taking from them and your relationships start to disappear. So it becomes a very, very lonely place. I I saw President Barack Obama just talking about this yesterday on, I think it was 60 Minutes, about how lonely the White House got for him while he was president. And, you know, again, not asking anybody on this call to feel sorry for a billionaire. I'm just letting you know it gets to that certain point. So a classic example of that would be Bill Gates. Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world, he left his CEO post many, many years ago to give all his wealth away, and him and his wife have a charity to do just that. And he steps into major issues, right? One of them right now is the vaccine. A lot of people have an agenda against vaccines. That's their opinion, and they get to choose that. But the, the brutal nature by which Bill Gates is attacked on the internet in the end, I think a lot of billionaires just look at that and they're like, it's not worth it. Why bother? Right? So I, I think I never want to be a guy that says that, that says, no, people's dreams don't matter to me. Why bother? I'm just going to go buy another yacht. I never wanted to be that guy. But I think that as you start to ascend, there's experiences along the way, getting sued, right? Getting threatened by the government, getting your businesses broken up. You get to a point where you're on defense all the time. Just from getting from 5 million to 50 million, I had to play defense. I used to joke that I owned a city block in a downtown, and I told my number two guy who was a, came from the pol- political side, I need you to play defense for me. I need this city block to be my oasis that nobody can penetrate. So that meant we had to deal with politicians. We had to, we had to always be on defense. And I, I just think that has to be the case for someone going to a billion or more is your world becomes very small of who you can trust and who can relate to you. You were a multimillionaire, so you had all those headaches. We can only imagine the headaches that the billionaires have. I was going to ask you then to comment on Donald Trump. Do you think he has found his purpose in life? A very wealthy guy. He's went to the White House. Boy, that's a loaded question. Can I take, a, uh, can I take someone I prefer? Richard Branson. Um, Richard Branson's a guy who I feel like he has found his purpose and he does things the right way. He's not out to hurt anybody. But when COVID struck, his airline, which was operating in Australia, 
there was no bailout coming for his airline, even though it was one of the top airlines in Australia. And you should have seen the comments that he got. Hey, you're a billionaire. Why aren't you bailing this out? Why aren't you paying for it? While I understood the argument, a lot of people don't understand, even if you're a billionaire at exactly $1 billion, that doesn't mean you have a a billion dollars in cash liquid sitting in a savings account. It probably means you have a billion dollars in assets and you might have a few million in cash, right? And so Trump's probably the same way. Like people lately have come in and said, he owes $400 million. Yeah, it's called a mortgage, right? So, you know, I have $10 million in mortgages. Like you could say, oh, he has all this debt, but I have 40, 50 million in real estate. So in the end, I felt like the way Richard Branson got treated, despite the fact that he's clearly a solid human being who cares about humanity, does all kinds of good in the world. It just gives you an example. So I I saw a former money manager for Bill Gates's entire estate. He spoke at a conference that I was at um, called the Human Gathering, and he left Bill Gates and he now tracks all the billionaires in the world. And he stood up there and said, you know what I learned? He said 95% of the billionaires out there are doing nothing for humanity. In fact, they're doing things to hurt humanity. And that really stung with me. And I said, God, you know, I would think that Branson's over in that other 5% in Gates. And, but it really stung me and it made me think, like, do you just get to a point where you become the monster that people make you out to be? And that becomes who you are. You kind of just say, screw it. And I, I would never want to become that person. Of course, we all think if I was a billionaire, I would do it right. I would treat people well. I would I would help humanity. We all think that, right? But we have to remember, and this is why I'm pointing this out today. I only got to 50 and I stopped intentionally. Imagine you keep going. Imagine the enemies. Imagine the aloofness. One of the things I've noticed most about billionaires is they're really aloof. You know, when you're talking to them, you just... It's almost like they're not there. And I've, I've met five or six billionaires. I've had, I've had scotch with Elon Musk. I've had, I've had a conversation with Mark Zuckerberg and his lovely wife. I, I know Tim Draper, who's a billionaire. So I've met these individuals and they're impressive individuals. You know, talking to Elon Musk for five, 10 minutes was one of my favorite moments. But that guy just gets worked in the media and worked everywhere. And you got to wonder at a certain point, do they, Let's not all assume that every billionaire has thick skin. Not every politician does either. I know I don't. You know, if you go on and you say lies about me, it's going to bother me for probably at least a day or two, right? And uh, you have to get to a point where you have this impenetrable thick skin. So again, not feeling sorry for billionaires or politicians. I'm just letting you know that I know enough now personally that I've seen the other side in their vulnerable moments. It's, it's, It's not, and even celebrities, it's not, all the all the giggles that you think it is. I imagine many of these wealthy individuals are lonely, even though they're surrounded by hangers-on and assistants and people groveling and looking for checks and uh, being invited to the best parties in town. They're still living in their own sort of bubble. It's quite a, a difficult and lonely place go go just research people that win the lottery and what happens after that you know 90 percent of them go broke they have family issues the whole thing and so keep keep in mind this is your friends and family coming at you in this way let alone your business enemies and so you know what i decided i looked at it very closely and what i said to myself was i think it's the industries 
So when you get into banking, when you get into the stock market, when you get into development and politics, somebody has to lose for you to win. It's just the way it is. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. But when you choose more wisely, like personal development, I could go into personal development. I could I could be a full-blown rock star, right? And I'm still helping people win. Now, it's interesting because you look at Tony Robbins, who's the billionaire in the group, right? There's not too many billionaires in personal development. He's one. But you can go follow what I was talking about. He's getting his shots every single day as well. So maybe personal development goes from a win-win place to a win-lose place when you get to his level. But I chose personal development because when I win, my customer wins. And when you strip away that hatred you know, and that judgment, you live in a really healthy environment and you're more likely to find joy. So that's my message to people. If you're in a win-lose industry and what you're missing most in your life is joy, get out of the industry. It's killing you. You know, go, don't waste your life. Go get in a win-win industry where everyone gets to win is my recommendation and the cure for this. Now, it doesn't mean you have to stop earning. I'm not going to stop earning. I'm, I'm a talented entrepreneur. Even when I, I'm not trying to earn, I often earn. So in the end, you can still be a big earner and still make lots more money, but at least you're doing it on your terms in a place that makes you happy and you feel comfortable in. So that's my message. Tell us a little bit about that. So you set up these retreats and you're reaching out to entrepreneurs who are trying to find a higher purpose in life. What I do is I run a six month coaching program that's done virtually via Zoom. And I put uh, these business owners and entrepreneurs in small groups of eight because that's a perfect group for transformation, for perfect group size for transformation to occur. Mm-hmm. And we'll have multiple different groups going through the year, but we're very selective. You know, the most we've ever had is 50 in one year. We try to do more around 28, 32. So we divide them up in groups. My partner, Patrick Holmes, and I do all of the coaching. And at the end of the six months, there's a retreat at my Bliss Island. Uh, so Bliss Island's located on the big island of Hawaii. Uh, we have no neighbors within 50 acres. So it's you really feel like you're on your own island. And of course, we named it Bliss Island because we're, you know, we love the word bliss. And that's a big part of our coaching. Uh, but ultimately, what we're helping entrepreneurs with is not to grow their existing businesses. I Quite frankly, I want to punch coaches in the face when they come in and say they're going to 10x your business. I don't think they even actually know what that means because I've owned a lot of businesses. Not a lot of 10xing going on, even in the best of businesses. But what we do is we come in and we find out from that business owner, hey, are you happy? Do you have joy in your life? Do you have a secret or unrealized ambition that we can help you chart a course to? And so... We've been doing this for a couple of years. I'd say about 50% of our business owners, the answer is no. I don't have great joy in my life. My business is doing great. I have a lot of stress. I'm the patriarch or matriarch of my entire community of everything down to the janitor. Everyone relies on me, but I'm not really doing what I want anymore. When I first started the business, maybe. So we help them find their purpose. Now, we're not saying, hey, kick your business to the curb, sell it, get rid of it, only focus on your bliss and creating a bliss journey. But we do help them get to a point where they can manage both, you know, or if they want to leave it like I did, I'm, I'm getting rid of businesses to only do what I'm doing now. But that takes time. You know, ultimately, we want to align with our purpose a bliss journey that you can go on. And so I'd say over 50% of our business owners, they want to have a voice in the world like you. 
You have a podcast. Lots of people listen to it. People want to become authors. Uh, people want to become motivational speakers. They want to share their experiences, their life, their wisdom, their thoughts. And so that's where my partner, Patrick, comes in. He's in the Motivational Speaking Hall of Fame in America. He's written a half dozen books read by God knows how many people. He's been on stages for over a million people as a speaker. Uh, he's a world-class storyteller. And so I'm the consummate entrepreneur between the two of us. No matter who you are or what bliss journey you pick, if it has anything to do with going on a solopreneur or entrepreneur bliss journey, we've got you covered. And, you know, we complement each other really well. And so I, a classic, if you want an example of what I mean here. Yes, Yeah, please. we had a well-known guy. His name is Yannick Silver. He's well-known as a digital marketer, one of the best in the world over a, about a decade. Then he got into putting on retreats for entrepreneurs. So in many ways, he does. he's in a similar industry as me. And he's been doing that for about a decade. It's called Camp Maverick. It's, it's amazing. It's the Maverick 1000. He's personal friends with Richard Branson. He runs retreats on Necker Island with Richard making guest appearances. So he's been there, done that. And I've known him for a while. He asked me to be a speaker at one of his retreats. And I noticed him taking scrupulous notes on my speech in the front row. And afterwards, I was curious to see what it was. And it wasn't only taking down what he considered to be the pearls of wisdom that I said, but he was also doodling. And I just became fascinated. And so my radar goes up because I tend to notice when people have passions that they don't really put out front. And we ended up having lunch a few months later, and we talked about this passion he had. And he told me about this idea he had for something called the Cosmic Journal, and that he's been taking notes from all these great business people over the years and doing these drawings. And I heard that and I went home and I thought about it and I called him the next day. I'm like, hey, I want to invest in that Cosmic Journal. He was totally taken aback. This was not a guy that needed my investment capital, but it did make the difference because all of a sudden there was someone else that believed in him. And for whatever reason, he was stuck. He got unstuck. Within three days, he had all these things laid out on his kitchen table and he sent me a video and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's already got all hundred pages of this Cosmic Journal written. Of course he does. He's been at this for a decade. And then before you know it, he's got a quote from a, a printer and we decide to self-publish. So he ends up printing about a thousand of these journals and I make the investment to pay for it all. He, he takes that very seriously. He starts to sell the journals and pay me back, ends up being a nice return for me. But that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is Hay House, one of the biggest publishers in the world, took notice and came in and did a publishing deal and is now publishing his Cosmic Journal. They liked it so much that now he's doing a set of playing cards for the personal development industry called the Cosmic Journal Cards. So He's off to the races. We're even talking about doing a Cosmic Journal retreat at Bliss Island. So, you know, he didn't have to shed all his other successful businesses to go on the bliss journey he wanted most. And then what we find is when a competent entrepreneur business owner does go for their bliss journey, the universe responds and amazing things happen. And so I can only imagine where he's going to be at in a couple of years with his Cosmic Journal enterprise. I'm trying to get a sense of the profile of your typical client, business client who signs up for your retreats. Are they unfulfilled, bored with the grind? I can't imagine every entrepreneur hates the grind or is unhappy. So 
I naively thought that as well. I'm not calling you naive. I'm joining you in that naivety. And I joined something called EO. Okay. EO is the biggest group of entrepreneurs in the world. They have 12,000 members globally. I joined EO in the Silicon Valley chapter. I went to my first forum meeting where I was like my assigned to eight other, seven other, I was the eighth, successful business owners, entrepreneurs. To get in the group, you have to do a million in revenue, bottom line. You can't even qualify and get invited in if you don't. So I go in there, I'm super excited to be there. And then in my first session, they have these three, four hour sessions once a month, someone brings up the question about selling their business. And I start to listen to some of the guys and I'm like, hey, just by a show of hands, how many of you actually want to sell your business? And you know how many hands went up? Six out of eight. Six out of eight. Here I was, thought I was joining a group where everyone was going to be super passionate about their business. Now, I'm not saying they weren't at some time, but those three things that you just said earlier, unfulfilled, tired of the grind, the stress, absolutely. And so what I started to hear was, oh, wow. Each one of these individuals wants to be doing something else. You know, they want to sell their businesses and do something else. They want out, not partially out. And I know how that feels. I've, I've got, like I said, I've got over 20 businesses. I want to unload about seven of them right now. And it's tough. It takes time. And, and you know, there's nothing worse than having to hang on when you don't want to hang on anymore. And, you know, when you have a lot of responsibilities and you have a lot of employees, you got to take that seriously. You know, you can't just be irresponsible and walk out. Suppose you can, but you would hurt a lot of people and your reputation at that. So that's not me. You got to exit in the most blissful way possible. But a lot of these guys, they're not like me. They don't have 20 companies. They have one. So leaving that company comes with all these other issues of legacy and what will you do next? You know, oh my gosh, like if I don't get my price, I'm not going to sell. And all of a sudden they make it really difficult to do what they want most, which is to get out. So what I try to do with those individuals is help them figure out what it is they want to do next. You know, help them figure out, re-understand their purpose, give it an upgrade, figure out a bliss journey that would go on to be fun. And then they could apply all that wisdom and experience. And that's what gets fun for me when we have the right clients that are actually badass entrepreneurs or business owners that have just hit a point where they kind of, you know, kind of like the NFL, they say coaches, even the best coaches that have won a Super Bowl or two, after 10 years, they just need a new start. You know, the team's not listening to them anymore. Like uh, the fans think they're, they're washed up. You know, what have you done for me lately? And then they go to another team and they have another run. Well, I think CEOs are that way as well. A lot of them, business owners. And so I'm the guy that can come in and go, I know your pain. I, I can feel that. I can have a conversation with you that you can't have with most people. You would sound like you were complaining if you were talking to anyone in your family or any of your friends, because all they see is the successful business person. But I can come in and go, hey, what's missing from your life? And how badly do you want it? You know, in my case, I, you know, I wanted it more than anything. And that's why I completely changed my life after that hospital visit. You know, I lost 75 pounds in four months. I started shedding businesses. I got rid of businesses that no longer served my purpose. You know, I made massive, massive change. Your clients, business clients who attend your retreats are presumably all well healed. And so you guide them or help to lead them 
towards some fulfillment. And it sounds to me from your literature and what you're telling me, that could be setting them off in a career as authors, as entertainers, um, maybe as hobby farmers or as running a guest house in the desert or traveling the globe, setting up a charity. Or buying a chunk of Hawaii and running Bliss Island for the rest of their lives. So, yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> nailing it, right? It's what is the thing that you really want to be doing? The thing that would bring you alive, you know? Um, that's the type of thing. And, you know, people struggle with this. They're stuck with it. They know what they want to do, but they're they're tied to their legacy, uh, they think it would be selfish. Maybe their kids are not in college yet and they worry about it. But I, I want to address something you just said earlier. So yes, we have a demographic that we know well. And coming into the pandemic, we're doing very well. But I would say about 75% of the business owners I'm now speaking with have seen a 50% or greater loss of revenue since the pandemic has occurred, uh, are not taking salaries, because they're trying to hold on to the employees that they love and that they actually care about. These are good people doing the right things. And so it's very fascinating. It's actually the, the people that are young that we mentor, that we have a different kind of edge with, which is a lot of artists and first-time entrepreneurs. We work with those folks too, separate from this avatar we're talking about today. And they're the ones that are unburdened. They're at a point where they're like, hey, the only thing stopping me before from going on a bliss journey and completing my dream is that I didn't think I could make money from it. Well, nobody's making money from anything right now. So I'm not worried about that anymore. And now I'm going to do my thing. And the second problem I had, I didn't have time. Well, they're off to the races. So we're seeing great progress and momentum by the newbies. And what we're seeing from expert business owners and CEOs is they're hanging on for dear life. So as you can imagine, they even came into this year already feeling unsettled and unfulfilled and feeling like they were grinding and not doing what they want to be doing. So now imagine they're holding on for dear life. It's a, it's a really, really tricky situation. And uh, it makes people want to do our program even more, but they might not now be even able or they can't justify the expense. So it's an actual tricky spot that we're in right now. And um, we're really looking forward to getting into it with our first two classes here in January as they're starting to fill up right now. Our sales season's kind of October through December. And uh, that's how I'm learning all these things right now. What about COVID implications? How does that play into I this? I bought my Bliss Island property during the pandemic. So I took all of that into consideration. You know, I'll give you an example. I, I just, I look at four seasons. They're the gold standard in the, you know, luxury accommodation industry. They're owned by Bill Gates and some prince from the Middle East. And in the end, they laid off their entire corporate staff. 152 people out of their Chicago headquarters, I think they are, got laid off. And that really said a lot to me that the travel industry in volume is just done for a very long time. I saw Sea Dream, one of my favorite yacht companies, try to go out before everybody else. Within two days, they're turning around because five people have COVID, right? So I think the larger travel industry, like the concert industry, which I own a concert business and venues, they're just done for a very long period of time. But 
small term travel, there's always going to be an audience for that, even in a pandemic. And so, for instance, in Hawaii, the governor of Hawaii did not allow people to come here without quarantining for 14 days until October 15th. But you bet your ass on October 15th, you know, I think there were 80,000 people that flew in the first 15 days. So (laughs) I'm not worried. I bought a hotel property resort that only has eight hotel rooms. So I'm not worried because there's always going to be eight business owners that are willing to get on a plane and come over here. We offer a private jet service in case they're squeamish about it. Um, But yes, of course, gathering in a group of even eight with, you know, I've got a chef, I've got, you know, masseuse, I've got other people. So we need to take all that in consideration. We have our own rapid COVID test that we've purchased that we apply to everybody when they arrive before they touch anybody else or, you know, so we do our, our share of things. I've run two retreats in the last few months without incident. And that's all the way down to the chef and the sous chef. Everybody has to take the tests. And now Hawaii, they really won't let you in unless you take a pretest. Well, they won't let you in without quarantine unless you take a pretest and an arrival test. So I now give a person a third test. So we're heavily, heavily tested. But I think smaller gatherings and then, of course, the fact that we deliver 80% of our content online uh, puts us in, in good shape. So we did have some people opt out of retreats this year. They didn't feel comfortable, but they did stay in our program since most of it's delivered online. My guest is Eric Lachtefeld, a hugely successful businessman and co-founder of Bliss Champions for entrepreneurs and creators who want to find purpose in their lives. In a wee moment, we'll take a detour and ask Eric for his take on the political and social response to COVID-19. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. We're going to take a slight detour here. Eric, what do you think about the random nature of the shutdowns nationwide? If you're in business, it's tough. You just said a lot of business people have taken huge financial hits. Managers have lost jobs. We have retail stores shuttered. The airline industry has been subsidized heavily. Tourism is shattered. So I, I put direct blame, you know, if you want to play the blame game, on individuals that had it tough. And that was the politicians. So let's just take let's just take the governor of California, because that's where I'm born and raised. Now I happen I've met Gavin Newsom. He he is very smart. He's a very smart guy. And he actually was a very good businessman, right? So all of a sudden, he's got a shit sandwich served to him, right? So the thing about COVID is it's a three-front war, right? You have a health war, which is everybody's health is potentially in jeopardy. You got to fight that war. You have a mental health war, right? Which because of all the change and how scared people are and all the fear, you got that going on. And then finally, you have a financial war that businesses are really being hurt. And where I was disappointed was especially a guy with his level of talent. He went all in on just fighting one of the wars, in my opinion. And then the other two wars didn't get fought. Now, I believe that the the mental wellness war will be won because fortunately, in the last 10 years, the gravitation of people leaving whatever jobs they were doing to come into that field, like me, I'm now in the field of helping entrepreneurs with their mental health in in a way. I think that field is so loaded with talent that people are going to be fine, right? But then in the final area of financial, 
where was the focus? The U.S. government, at least after a month, came in and realized, wow, our country is screwed because of how it's built on the backs of small businesses. And at least they came in and, you know, turned the faucet on. Was it too slow? Sure. But I know I had multiple businesses get six figures. And so, and that money literally came in within eight days of applying for it. So now that money actually helped people stick around between April and say a month or two ago. But now without another stimulus, so many businesses are going to close and it's not going to be anybody's you know, direct fault. This is just a nightmare. But I wish that our politicians would have built committees and said, okay, we're going to put as much effort into the mental health war and the financial war as we did in the health war. Because in the end, they, they, they didn't maybe move fast enough, but they, they did get what they needed in the hospitals and they did get everybody at least at least told to wear masks and masks are now circulating pretty easily. You can get them anywhere. So in the end, they did, they did fight that war. Now they're getting their ass kicked, but at least they fought it effectively. You know, they quickly learned that ventilators weren't the solution that, you know, people actually were, there's whole other things going on with the body when COVID strikes. Right. So I, I think that we didn't fight the financial war and we're, it, there's a reckoning. So, you know, as a longtime California resident, what did I do? I said, this is a hot mess. I'm out of here. You know, I, I, I wish I could have gone in and fixed it, but that wasn't my role to play. So I picked up and I left California and I'm not the only one. I, I know dozens of incredibly successful entrepreneurs that have left because we just feel like it's being run poorly. They don't care about our businesses. And in the end, they're just going to add egregious taxes to deal with the fact that they didn't fight that war to begin with. Hell, they could have just... They could have just dispersed money and given us a chance to stay in business. I don't even want to have the argument over mask and whether people should go out or not go out, right? Because we didn't fight the war. So the war is lost. So the cure is worse than the cause in this case. And we don't know what the long-term consequences are on the global economy. That's a whole other show we're sinking in debt and the Federal Reserve has the spigots open. It's too frightening to contemplate the consequences. I just look at restaurants, like at least come June and July, the state woke up and said, hey, restaurants can be outside. And counties and cities broke all their fire code rules and literally reclaimed streets and let people build like outdoor seating. I thought that was an appropriate solution, right? But here comes winter. Right. And what I know about the restaurant industry is they can barely make a profit, even if they're 95 percent full 100 percent of the time. So now they're dealing with 20 percent capacity and the restaurant industry is just screwed. And so there should have been a plan. They should have recognized that they should have better understood how restaurants have very small margins and know that that's our food. That literally is our food distribution system in America. And so there's so many industries like that. I happen to old an old a historical theater that's a concert venue. I've been closed since March 20th and there's no foreseeable future, yet I still own a mortgage every month. Okay, I'm a rich guy. I can handle it. Sure, fine. But not everybody's a rich guy that operates a historic theater and does concerts, you know? Uh, let's go back to this project and the retreat. What is a typical day like for participants? We have some special things. First, I'll mention that we have, I believe, the best chef on the island. I recruited him from Kauai. He was a private chef for 
the uber, uber wealthy. And I convinced him that this would be a wonderful experience for him. So he cooks you three meals a day. So it's important to note that we're we're eating organic food, you know, all locally grown. And he's literally a Michelin rated chef, you know, serving all of our meals, right? So then the next thing that happens is the content. So my partner, Patrick and I, we've created activities that are perfect for group sizes of eight. And we're teaching our content on a daily basis. We start things off with a speech or two, but then we quickly get into activities where our customers are exchanging their thoughts and ideas. And it's really an opportunity for the group to support that individual on their bliss journey uh, that they're on. So we, it's very cerebral. We move around the property a lot so we don't get stagnant, uh, but we're talking to each other for most of the day. We also have exotic excursions that we take them on. We might go zip lining in a tropical forest with over a waterfall. Uh, we'll take them to different beaches with waterfalls and things like that. Um, so it's pretty tight. It's in five days. So you're doing a lot and you're busy the entire time. Not a lot of downtime. Uh, we hit it hard in the morning right away and we pack a lot of content in. We also have a wonderful happy hour where we bring in mixologist bartenders to serve drinks for an hour, but we're not a party situation, right? A lot of entrepreneur events I've been to, I don't get it. You're, you're, you're partying till four in the morning and then getting up for yoga at 6 a.m. I just don't get it. You go home and you need to sleep for a week or you're sick. We want people to feel recharged and taken care of and, and sent back home ready to conquer the world with their bliss journey. So we have, we have a couple massages for everybody. Great masseuses brought in great happy hour that only lasts an hour. And so that's the general look and feel the itinerary is planned to the minute um, every single day. And we do, you know, one thing that we all arrive at is euphoria. So by really the last day, we're in a euphoric state and we really believe that we can do what we're choosing to do. And so that's when we know Patrick and I's work is done and we have a little graduation ceremony that night where they stand up on their own two feet and, you know, talk for about five to seven minutes saying who they are now and who they're going to be. And they really go home with their chest held high. And, you know, and then we watch, you know, because not everyone goes home and kicks ass, you know, immediately. Sometimes it takes it's a much longer journey, but we do keep track after the fact. And then we also have a million dollar investment fund that we go in and we offer investments for those individuals, we feel that embody the spirit of what we teach. They have great attributes and they're really going to do what they say they're going to do. So we've invested a million dollars in the last three years in our customers, far more than they've given us. <laughs> you know, so they're, you know, imagine paying X amount for a, a retreat and a virtual coaching experience. And then someone gives you five times that back in an investment that is unheard of in personal development. Even Tony Robbins isn't doling out, you know, $100,000 investments in his customers. So we're pretty proud of that. So are the principles you use at the retreats ones you and your partner have developed or do you take from literature and other ideas from great teachers and gurus? Yeah, so my partner's Patrick. I, I consider him to be the guru. Uh, he's a guy that can read a book and remember a quote 20 years later and repeat it. I am not that guy. In fact, I have not read a personal development book in 15 years. I used to tear them up when I was, uh, I used to read them quite a bit in my 20s. But actually, the books that we align ourselves more with are things like Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist, uh, Joseph Campbell's work, uh, Eckhart Tolle's work. But no, we don't use anybody else's work. You know, we're, 
we're teaching the hero's journey, which is very much Apollo Coelho concept. But every word that comes out of our mouth is from our own experiences. Patrick's more likely to say a quote by Pantangeli from hundreds of thousands, you know, thousands of years ago than to use a quote by someone doing, say, the world's best podcast right now. Um, we don't really consume other coaches' stuff and regurgitate it. I know everything out of my mouth is from my own experiences, and I think that our customers find that refreshing. Uh, there's a lot of coaches out there that just read stuff and regurgitate it and call themselves a life coach, but they've never actually built a business and they've never actually done the things that they're coaching to do. They certainly haven't 10X'd anything in their lives. So it sounds like there's a lot of brainstorming sessions. You aim to get the participants to come out of their shell, so to speak. So by day five, a light bulb goes off and says, yes, I've got it figured out. I'm going to sell my business and I'm going into show business. I'm going to become <laughs> an author. Right. I'm going to become a long distance marathon or whatever. And then we have connections. Like even we have had 150 customers over three years. And it turns out we have publishers, we have race car drivers, you know, we have whatever it is you're interested in doing, chances are we're one call away from introducing you to someone that can help. So our network is also very valuable and I'm an investor. So I'm looking for that diamond in the rough that I can put some money behind to go on there to help them on their bliss journey. We're never going to take credit for anyone's journey, but we do catalyze them. So yes, you got it 100% right. So whatever whatever was causing them to be stuck, they're going to leave the retreat unstuck and they're going to pledge to go for it, you know, and then we're going to be watching, you know, we're going to be watching and supporting um, as they go on their journey. It sounds like a kind of a, a spiritual journey as well, that people are looking for purpose and meaning. You're not suggesting to your participants that they give up no. work or sell their business unless it fulfills them and they substitute it with something more meaningful. Yeah, it kind of a funny story would be a customer coming to us and going, Eric, I quit my job. I'm going for my bliss. And I would say, well, why'd you do that? <laughs> right? So that would be a big surprise. I go, what's, what's your financial plan? Right? Like, so, you know, we teach, there's five reasons that people actually don't live their dreams. The number one is obvious. You could guess it. They don't begin, right? So we're experts at getting people to begin. But the very second reason is that they quit. People are great at quitting. About 99% of the world's excellent at it. So we actually help them develop a strategy to not quit from day one. And then number three reason that they 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 don't reach their dreams is they make poor decisions. So what is your decision tree? Like, do you have a decision process? I ask people, do you have, or do you have a way to not quit? And they just look at me like I'm crazy. And so we help people develop those processes so that they can get over those three massive humps. And then after that, it's more things like leaving a place of comfort, worrying about what other people are going to say. They start to lessen up a little bit, a little bit easier to help them overcome those things. But those first three are really the killers to everybody's dreams. You know, you wouldn't believe the, the false narratives that get thrown our way as to why someone's not doing their, their dream. And it's kind of funny when it comes from a really wealthy business owner, right? Because in the end, the approach with most wealthy business owners is really to figure out why they're stuck because they're so capable. They have the resources. They're the boss. They can take time off if they need it. So ultimately, it often comes down to them giving themselves permission, you know, or worrying about what others are going to think, you know. So we can, we can get to the heart of the matter pretty quickly with the right questions. 
It's interesting to talk about the business community and purpose in life. There have been some fascinating examples in recent times about extremely wealthy American business people who found their ultimate purpose in life quite late in life in many cases. I'm thinking of uh, Tom Monaghan, who founded Domino's Pizza, sold it for a fortune in 1998, I believe it was. Tom was a rags-to-riches success story. He was raised much of his young life in an orphanage. He's a devout Catholic, but he says his life was turned around after reading a passage from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, which explored the idea of pride in our life. Tom ultimately gave up his lavish lifestyle to devote himself to charitable causes. And he set up a university in Florida, Ave Maria University. He's now in his 80s. But that's how he realized his goals and motivations. Up until then, he would basically say his life was filled with ego and shallowness. I thought his was an interesting journey. I think you're just nailing it on the head. You know, and the ego plays such a big role. And especially when you get to that patriarch status, right? Where you feel like all you just need to ascend, right? But if you keep ascending and ascending and ascending, and you're not really making that 12 inch journey from your brain to your heart, and you're not doing what you really feel like you should be on this earth to do, you know, that's when you read things that change your life. You know, I, I get asked all the time by young bucks, Hey, what are the best business books you've ever read? And they, they want me to say whoever the best podcaster is right now, or whatever book just came out. And I, I tell them, Oh, that's easy. Atlas shrugged and the alchemist. And they literally look at me like I'm crazy, but there's learnings in there that honestly, that every personal development platform is built off of, you know, that you could, you could gain so much from. So in the end, I stopped reading personal development books because they're just finding new ways to say old messages. And in many ways, Paulo Coelho is just saying what potentially said, you know, thousands of years ago. So I, I think that um, in the end, you know, it's time to get down to it. And so we found a way to create our own messaging. You know, we have a model that we teach called the Bliss Star. It's got seven points to the star. Um, and we focus in on teaching each of those. Think of them each, each point as a chalice. And you got to keep something in that chalice in order to be able to drink from it. And so you got to equally be paying attention to all seven. You know, I, I just love what I'm doing now. I, you know, it's it's like me to make a lot of money from any business venture that I do. And if that happens, then great. But it sure as hell is not my driver anymore. You know, I believe there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is kind of an individual pursuit. You know, like I could go play with that puppy and feel happy about myself at that moment. Or I could go surfing. But joy is when you give your gift to another. It's, it's when you see somebody else like shine, you know, like, you know, like when a dad like has the camcorder on his kid at the soccer game and the kid scores that goal on that move that the dad taught the kid, you know, there's nothing like that. That's, that's joy. And so I experience joy on a regular basis, seeing my customers rise up and get aligned with their purpose and what they really want to do with their life. And I don't really care if it's some big business venture or not. You know, I'm just trying to get people to 
the metaf- <laughs> proverbial bliss island. You know, I'm trying to get them to my island as well, but just think of it as metaphorically. I'm trying to get them to bliss island. I want them to burn the boats. And what that means is they've now learned the hero's journey. The same thing Paulo Coelho taught and made it one of the top 10 selling books of all time. And what we're teaching today, what Joseph Campbell tried to teach over his lifetime, you know, it, it, it's all the same stuff said in different ways. And so few people do it. You would also want to be careful. There are some people in business very happy seeing their employees going home with a paycheck and they're raising families and children and seeing those kids go off to college. And they love all that. They're sharing their talents. And then there are other business people who are in a rut, deeply unhappy. Is it ego again that keeps them there? A a lack of self-confidence that, oh, I sell my business. Now I'm going to be sitting at home on the couch watching TV. I'm a nobody, except I just have a big bank account. Is that what it's all about? No, I think I was going to stop you before you transition to the second person, the the happy person that you described, or you you went to that transition. I said, there's something called recessions and they happen about every eight to 10 years. And they deliver pain for business owners in a way that perhaps being an employee, it's different, right? If, if you think it's easy to lay off people that you care about, maybe you were the officiant at their wedding, or maybe you have to choose because the husband and wife both work for you and one of them needs to go and the other can stay. You know, until you face those kinds of choices that a recession faces, you know, forces you into... You can't truly be in those shoes. You can't truly understand like, hey, why can't that business owner just suck it up? You know, well, what's it like to lay off 50% of your workforce? I know this time around because I don't have a lot of employees despite all the companies that I didn't lay anybody off. And I feel really great about that. Um, But these individuals I'm talking to that are now not taking salaries so that they can spread out more of, of the payroll you know, until you've gone through that, you don't really understand. So I think every 10 years, you get a gut check. And that does wake you up to the fact that, hey, is it all worth it? You know, is it all worth it? Is this what I really want to be doing? Nobody goes on just a, a 30-year run without gut checks. I don't know, maybe Bill Gates did. But in the end, it's very, very rare. You know, I when I built my biggest global company, the biggest gut check I ever got, I loved my employees, every last one of them. And when I had to sit in a boardroom and decide which 30% of them had to go, it broke me. It broke me. And I, I was quite frankly, not the same again as a business owner. You know, I even went the went to great lengths not to have employees after that because it broke my heart to do that. It disturbs you mentally. You'd want to have a heart of stone to enjoy laying people off. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Well, think about it. I just told you my purpose is to be inspired. What is inspirational about laying people off? My whole life has been about lifting people up, not laying them off. And so that's the point I made. Like when you go from, say, 50 million to a billion, if you think those choices don't become daily choices, you're just not, you're just not getting it. Like you, you don't understand. And I understand why you don't understand because you're not in those positions, right? And so what happens on that journey, I believe, now I stop, so I can't represent billionaires here. But what I think happens based on my experiences in getting to 50 is that it becomes more cutthroat and you have to toughen your skin and it becomes a numbers game. And at the end of the day, the choices are brutal. I, You know, they always ask Obama, what do you really do as the president? They go, well, I make choices between the worst choice and worst choices. 
you know, that's my full-time job. And that's kind of what it gets like as you start to rise up. There, nobody's bringing you the easy, easy questions to solve. They're only bringing you the brutal ones. And there's a lot of people praying for your downfall. Yes, they're cheering for it. In fact, they're they're outright trying for it. I mean, look at just the breakups. When the government doesn't feel like they're getting their taste from a company like Google, what do they do? Antitrust. You know, Facebook, if you think Facebook's going to get out of the next decade without antitrust and being split up, you know, there's no way Instagram is going to stay part of Facebook, in my opinion. There's a lot of envy of the rich in this world by many people and groups. Is that one reason why a wealthy business owner who has accumulated all this wealth and can get out might want to go to your retreat? I'm selling up. I'm going to Eric's retreat in Bliss Island. I'm going to find a new purpose in life. I think things like pandemics and, you know, uh, recessions can wake people up and employees too. Like, hey, this is the third recession in a row where I've been thrown out with the garbage. You know, that makes somebody wake up. Like, I might as well go do what I love. Well, same thing. You know, someone that builds a business over 10 years and then maybe a few politicians make decisions to destroy your industry, you know, at a certain point, you might say, God, if that can happen every 10 years, no matter what, I might as well be doing what I love. So right now I'm busy. I, you know, I've never had more people interested in what we're doing, mainly because they've been hurt so badly by things that they thought they could rely on that they can't, you know, things that were, they thought were sure things are not sure things. It wakes you up quite a bit. Life's short, right? So you know, why not do what you love? And I'm the guy that's like, has to get over the third limiting belief. So, you know, the two biggest limiting beliefs in the world are I'm not enough and I won't be loved. So once we help someone get past that, the third one that enters my world is, oh, I have to choose between making money and my bliss. That's the biggest lie people tell to themselves. I can give you examples of all kinds of billionaires that actually went with their bliss. And so that is a false an example would be uh, the starving artist, right? I can I can tell you that 90% of the artists out there in the world, they have a poor relation with money. They've, they believe the struggling artist concept so much that it's part of their value system. So I often have to break them of that and get them to understand that there's incredibly wealthy artists out there. It comes down to your level of expertise. How hard are you willing to work? Are you a pro? You know, or are you an amateur at what you're doing? So, you know, I, we have different philosophies. We have to convince people that you can do it very well from your bliss. So it helps that I got to 50 million in net worth. So I can point, you know, I got there. Like if I told you what my companies actually did, you would, you would have a good chuckle. You would laugh and go, no effing way did you get to that doing that. I'll just give you three examples. I basically brought sponsorship of concerts to the forefront back when I was 25 years old. Up to that point, the only, the only musician that allowed sponsorship in the world was the Rolling Stones with American Express. They had a deal that you had to use an Amex to buy your concert tickets. I came in with the Warp Tour and created sponsorship program that changed the industry forever. And you know what I did? I hung banners. All I did was hang the damn banners around the arena that's all I did. They'd all get torn down in the first 20 minutes too by the kids who wanted the banners of their favorite companies. I got paid a million dollars a year to hang banners. And then the next thing I did is I found out that I was going to run a summer internship program for college students. I decided to do that and I needed housing. Well, Cisco Systems, who was a big deal back at this time, 
They had a thousand interns a summer. They were paying them four thousand dollars a month, giving them a thousand stock options, and putting them in corporate housing that cost two hundred dollars a day. I came in and said, "Gee, I think Stanford University has like dormitory space that would be available, and they have summer camps. So I know they have their their dining facilities running. What if I were to come in and offer that as a solution to Cisco?" Well, I went on a hundred million dollar run. I actually ended up building the world's largest summer internship program. It was called University Dreams, became Dream Careers, and it lasted 18 years. It just went out of business this last year, and it brought me all kinds of wealth. I was repurposing dorm rooms, shitty dorm rooms, and repurposing those and creating an $8,000 product. I had 12,000 people go through that program. You know, then from there, I repurposed old theaters that nobody wanted. There used to be 2,500 live entertainment theaters in America, and they're down to 250 now. There was one on every Main Street built in the 1930s. Well, nobody had exited a theater. In fact, they're getting torn down and they're putting like, I don't know, Home Depots in them or gyms. I came in and bought two. The first one I bought, I bought for $6 million out of foreclosure. I sold it 17 years later for $19 million. And I monetized it to the tune of $5 million a year. So I'm a guy that goes in and he takes on challenges that everybody else says, don't touch it. No real estate guy wanted to buy a historic theater in Silicon Valley. I was the only guy. There was nobody in line. And you go in there and you apply your entrepreneurial skills and you do what people thought wasn't possible and you build up something special. So, you know, if I could do it with old theaters, banners and empty dorm rooms in the summertime at universities, you know, you can make your dream happen. You can monetize it. So don't believe the hype and don't feel like that's even a real thing. That's just the thought monster in your head trying to resist you to do what you really want to do. That's a very optimistic message, Eric. So to be clear, the clients and customers who sign up for the retreat are not necessarily business people. They could be artists, they could be sports figures, but they have to have a certain net worth to participate. Yeah, we're not really focused on their net worth, but we definitely have two different tracks, right? So the main track that we're focused on for 2021 is the business owner. Chances are they run a business doing more than $5 million in revenue. Chances are, you know, they take one or two big vacations a year on the company card. You know, chances are that they're also meeting all of those attribute needs we're looking for, right? So that just kind of puts some clarity on it. They can come from anywhere in the world. Whereas the other track that we've done in the past deals with a lot of first-time entrepreneurs and artists who are trying to better monetize their art. So for instance, we have a master artist right now. We've been working with her for two years and we've been coaching her, trying to get her over this whole poor association with the whole struggling artist thing. She's a master artist. Her pieces go for seven to $25,000 a pop. You know, so working with her on how to be better at monetizing her art, you know, we do a bit of that as well. But for for this year, we are totally focused on business owners for 2021. So that's going to be our primary demographic. But we do have a lot of people in, from past programs that are, you know, artists, first-time entrepreneurs. How do they reach you and how do they travel to Bliss Island? Two questions. I'll answer those. Blisschampions.com. That's plural. Blisschampions.com is where they can go and check us out. And then, and they'll end up directly with me. I'll be the one to interview them after they apply. So it's free to apply. 
Um, we're going to come at you from a psychological perspective to see whether or not you're a good fit for us. And I ultimately will make the decision whether you get in or not. And if you get in, you'll be invited to join. You'll pay a deposit and then you'll either start in January or you'll start in our later sessions in July. So it's a six month program. That means you'd be doing a retreat in June or in December. The second part of how do you get here? So Hawaii has opened up to trans-Pacific travel. So as long as your country is not closed off to travel, you can travel here. We can't predict how that's going to change. We do have a private jet service out of LA. If somebody feels like that's the way that they feel safer to travel, it's out of a private airport, private jet, only takes 10 people at a time. So that is an option that we offer. A little bit more, but an option. But right now, you know, I brought my 89-year-old and 86-year-old mom and dad here two months ago. You know, I've got my whole my whole family's coming here for Thanksgiving. So there's probably on the call right now, like judging me for that. But I've taken over, I've taken over 20 commercial flights. My wife has taken 30 in the last four months, COVID-free, haven't been hit yet. I, I pray that we continue. We're not risky. We take precautions, you know. Uh, I've even worn gloves on all my flights, you know, and I've got my mask on and the whole thing, but we decided to, I think everybody has to make a personal decision as to when they're going to open up, particularly business owners. We decided that time was August and that's when we started to travel and we started to actually function as a business. Um, but for some people they haven't, and I'll tell you one thing, you know, I, I do have, because I'm in EO and because I have 150 former customers and current customers, I have pretty good insight into who's doing well and who's doing not so well. The people doing the worst are the ones that are consuming television media. They are doing, they are doing awful because all they're doing is watching the news. And, you know, if it bleeds, it leads every day getting fear pumped into their body and they're doing terrible. You know, literally I've seen nervous breakdowns arise in that category. People that read the news are doing better. People that ignore the news are doing great. Well, we're reading a lot about mental health issues, drug abuse, domestic violence, health issues, kids having problems in concentrating and doing their homework. It's a total mess. I mean, again, we're back to the idea of the cure is worse than the cause. And I do think there is something. To no that. doubt. And you think about social media and how it's delivering to us a lot of this anxiety. You know, I, I actually think the probably biggest, if we really wanted to fix that war, we want to win that war. I, if I was the president, I would be investing in people becoming psychologists because it's only going to get worse in social media, the way that it's structured and built to create anxiety. I think anxiety is one of the number one problems right now in the world. You know, remember anxiety is the emotion with anxiety is fear. And so you're really just having anxiety over something that has not happened yet. Right. So what I found is when someone has a high level of anxiety, I try to go directly to hope because I see that as a countermeasure. Because if you can work with someone and give them a little bit of hope that the outcome that they're worried about isn't going to happen that way, if they have a better plan, you know, I find that the helping them with create their plan brings their anxiety levels down. I mean, I saw the woman that's doing the worst right now that I know, uh, I'm not going to name her name as a former customer. She's just honestly, you know, on the brink every day, like every day, so anxiety based on what was going on in the world. She called me the day Joe Biden won the election and she was back to her normal self. She felt all chipper and great. And I'm like, so it just proves like so much of this is created in our minds, you know, and when we let our thoughts take control, 
you know, that's when the big three, doubt, fear, and resistance just own you. And Patrick and I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the retreat and then also in our virtual coaching explaining how those three things work and how to overcome them. There's a never-ending cycle of negative news on media. The news has to get out and the details and the stats on COVID, but if it's over the top and irrational, it's sowing all this fear. Like, I'll give you a classic one, right? I remember in April, everyone was watching that stupid show on Netflix, The Lion, whatever, The Tiger King. And literally... You know, nobody really knew about COVID, how it was going to work. And what, of, of course, everyone's worried about their animals. People love their pets. And a big story came out that was on all the American newspapers that a tiger got COVID. And if a tiger could get COVID, then your dog and your cat could get COVID. Like that story came and went, but it was the number one story in America for like a week. And I'm just like, for the love of God, like, do you really have to be like hitting us with every story? So I actually stopped watching the news in May. Um, I did pick it up for election week because like everybody else in America. And you're in good health. Yeah. You didn't come down with COVID. You're happy. You're an optimist. And you're on Bliss Island. And my businesses are functioning. And so, and I'm the guy that the people that are not doing well call. So I, I get to try to help them. And I have not deliberately, mind you, by example, have helped maybe three, four dozen people open up. You know, I'm going on Facebook and telling my story of travel not to call anyone out or not to tell anyone to take risks, but I just stare, share my factual story. Like, oh, I just took my 20th flight in three months and here's what it was like and here's what's going down. Here's the precautions I took. And next thing I know, my buddies are like, hey, I just went to Cabo and man, I just got home and it was the greatest trip. I totally needed that. I'm okay. I'm self-quarantining because I don't want my parents to possibly catch anything just in case I did catch anything you know, people can be responsible. So, so it's a little bit different. So please, you know, listeners don't assume just because someone's decided to open up and they're living their lives that they're being stupid about it. You know, I, you know, cause I could argue back, like it's stupid to go to a grocery store or to Costco. Like, I think that's as big of a risk as getting on a half empty plane, in my opinion. Right now I own a concert business and I haven't tried to put on a concert. And I'm not going to try. It's probably going to be till next June, till a vaccine is fully in circulation that people actually want to take. But I look at the cruise industry, like they just can't win. Like literally you can't take a cruise without someone showing up with COVID. So, you know, there's certain industries that unfortunately there's just nothing they can do, but there's other ones where good strategies like the restaurants in America, I'm kind of proud of the restaurant industry. I'm kind of proud of the fact that they're at least trying to survive and you know, I'm proud of the fact that city councils are coming to their senses and letting them set up in the streets, right? Like, thank God that someone's being rational and it's not some fire marshal going, no, you cannot set up outside unless you have this, 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 and this. So I just wish there was more of that from our politicians. You know, at least the federal government sent out some money. But, you know, what about these industries that are just completely at a loss, you know? I'm a wealthy guy. I can wait it out and get my concert venue active eventually. But I I think like 90% of the concert venues, they're screwed. I I don't know what's going to happen to them. I don't know when live music is going to come back. It's going to be a long time. Of course, out of all this disaster and despair and the bankruptcies and business people who have lost their livelihoods, even their homes, there are some success stories. Yours being one of them. 
and there are other businesses which have emerged from the shutdowns. Look at the business for Zoom seminars and webinars and drive-through dining and all the like. Yeah, more than you know, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to, I'd like to rather not name this company, but I own part of a company that operates on a particular fancy place in the world. And we rent 25 of the fanciest homes in the world. Um, And our our list of renters are A-list celebrities in Hollywood and CEOs and whatnot. Um, And a funny thing happened when COVID struck, they all called in a hurry to cancel on us, right? They were canceling their five-day rentals or one-week rentals. And so we saw a million dollars of revenue go out the window. We usually do about a million a month in rentals. That went out the window immediately. But guess what? We started to get calls the next day from secretaries, executive assistants, whatever you want to call managers of billionaires. The billionaires came in and said, hey, you know that daily rental? I'll take it for six months. We just, we, now we average $2 million a month. We've had the greatest year we've ever had before. So we need to remember in recessions, money doesn't go away. It just changes hands. Mm. It just it moves from one bank account to another. And yes, there are huge success stories That little example I gave you is one. Um, But yeah, there's so many companies out there that are having their best years ever. So, you know, I cheer them on like, good luck. I I don't cheer them on if they're doing it and if they're capitalizing on people's like, you know, poor health. But if they're really putting solutions in there that people need, then great. Let's root for all the business people and entrepreneurs and creators and those trying to make our country better and to create jobs. Uh, Finally, Eric, what advice would you have for some ambitious young person out there who wants to succeed in life, in business, but is still finding the going tough. You've been there yourself. My number one advice is always to discover your purpose. My belief is that we all have it inside of us and, but it's in our subconscious and in our emotions. And what we fail to do is give it words. So the same way they tell a startup entrepreneur to have an elevator pitch in case you meet a venture capitalist. I say the same with any person that's going to become an entrepreneur, know your purpose which means giving it words. So in one sentence or less, with a noun, a verb, and an adjective, what is your purpose? What will help you get there is this. So whether you believe in God or not, think of a God-like figure coming down from the heavens and saying to you, hey, John, that thing, that gift that you have that you and I both thought you had so much potential on, I just don't feel like you're really using it to its full potential. So I'm here today to take it away from you forever. And I'm going to give it to someone more deserving. And you can't do that ever again. Start from that point. What would you argue with God over to not lose a particular craft or something you care about? That's your purpose. That's the thing you're unwilling to give up. And you would, dare I say, fight God to defend and keep and argue with God to keep. Start there because that's what you want most. And we all have that inside of us. I can ask five questions to arrive at it with anybody, but you don't need me to figure that out. And then give it words and then give yourself a chance to brainstorm all the ways that you could align that. And it would be fun. It would make you come alive and choose one of those. But when you choose it, give yourself, build up a decision-making process that you can put through like a cheese grater to make sure it's pure. Because the mistake that entrepreneurs make is they have a brainstormed idea and then they sprint ahead. And that's like running in the dark, having a blindfold on, and then you're invariably going to fall into the snake pit of how. 
And in that snake pit are all these snakes that are going to bite you. And their venom is going to rack your doubt, ratchet up your doubt, ratchet up your fear, ratchet up your your resistance, and you're going to fail. And that's why, in my opinion, 85% of businesses fail. We know why. Lack of competence, lack of cash flow, those types of things. But I really think it's a lack of belief a lot of times too. So before you run ahead to solve all the hows to your brilliant idea, sit with your brilliant idea a little bit longer and put it through a good decision-making process so that you don't wake up after seven years of building a business hating your business. And lastly, what about all those people out there in business or running some operation who are in despair because of shutdowns or the economy or just overwhelmed? What do you say to them? What's your parting words of wisdom yeah, here? Find a project, find a six month project that can take your mind off that pain because it's not going away anytime soon and delve into that project. Get your company down as small as you can make it and just try to survive but give yourself the gift of a long-term project. My long-term project is building up Bliss Island right now. I'm designing a pool. I'm designing a gym. I'm doing all... You need that because if you don't do that, what you're going to do is you're going to work longer hours for less return and you're going to drive yourself crazy. And that's when mental illness is going to come in and you're going to spend 14, 16 hour days with no results. And so I learned in April, I took my own advice and I, I focused in on combing the world to find a property to buy. And that's been my project. And I've got businesses that are completely dormant. I got other ones that are able to function, but find a project, you know, because a project will create hope. Make sure it's a long-term project because this is going to be a minute and give yourself that gift. And if it's aligned to your purpose, even better so that you have a reprieve. And then don't be afraid to talk to your friends that also are going through the same thing. And I think an opportunity to commiserate and, you know, nobody likes, you call it first world problems sometimes, but find somebody else that has first world problems and have that conversation. I know that sounds elitist, but you'll, it'll sound like you're complaining to everybody else and, a lot of people have it rough right now. So, you know, go find peers that are in the same position that you're in and try to get good advice. Um, I know with my EO group alone, there are only eight of us in the forum. We helped each other get government loans. We, we generated over three and a half million dollars between the eight of us just by focusing on that issue together as a team. So that's fantastic. You have to maybe surrender, which for entrepreneurs, that's tough because we're such warriors. We never want to give up. But when I surrendered in April to a certain things, great things started happening for me. Eric, I hope to see you in Bliss Island someday. Record some shows over there. Good luck with everything. And thank you for finishing this show on an optimistic note. Thanks, John. Good luck, everybody. Well, you know, this too shall pass. And be sure that you're working on your dreams now so that you can come firing out of this thing. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.